0: you all are I have good news hi welcome back I'm so glad you're here I'm Cynthia Hayes you're listening to gimme good news radio an audio service of gimme good news daily hosted on WordPress Maine's Space era Ready for Liftoff with a $445,000 grant for a Spaceport Study. The Maine Space Grant Consortium has been awarded a $444,900 federal grant to develop a strategic plan for the Maine Spaceport Complex, just as Blue Shift Aerospace Inc., expected to be a big part of the state's space race, plans its first rocket launch. The U.S. Department of Commerce's Economic Development Administration grant will be matched with a $148,489 in state funds and a $111,442 in local money, according to a news release. The Maine Space Consortium is helping to develop a spaceport with the Brunswick Landing Campus as mission control for a program that would launch CubeSats, small satellites, from Commerce Park in Presque Isle, the former Loring Air Force Base. The consortium is conducting a study funded by the Maine Technology Institute and NASA on the market feasibility of the program. Brunswick landing based Blue Shift. Plans to launch its 20-foot Stardust 1.0 test rocket at Commerce Park on October 21st. Plans for the 540-pound rocket to reach 4,500 feet before landing safely. Eventually, Blue Shift's rockets would carry CubeSats into space and be a major part of Maine's space industry, Sasha Derry, Blue Shift founder, told MaineBiz last year. The federal grant was announced Tuesday at a Brunswick Landing news conference. Quote, this EDA investment will diversify Maine's economy by advancing the establishment of the Maine spaceport complex that is expected to include an innovation hub with research, development, and manufacturing facilities, as well as launch facilities in Aroostook and Washington counties, End quote. said Dana Gartz, acting assistant secretary of commerce. Quote, after almost seven months of living in this new world brought about by the coronavirus pandemic, it is clear that Maine's economy is hanging in the balance. U.S. Representative Shelley Pingree, Democrat from Maine First District, quote, we must diversify our economy to make it more stable far into the future. There's a global market for the emerging nanosatellite and aerospace technology, a financial sector projected to bring between $500 million and $2.5 billion to Maine's economy each year, along with 75,000 highly skilled workers over its lifetime, officials at the news conference said. Maine Space Industry prepares for liftoff. In June of 2019, Blue Shift won a $125,000 grant from NASA to develop its product, and Brunswick Landing, which is run by the Midcoast Regional Development Authority, calls for the development with a focus on aviation, aerospace, and new technologies on march fifth Derry and other stakeholders were part of a launch ceremony for a bill l d two zero nine two that would create a leadership council to come up with a spaceport proposal and promote new space the emerging private spaceflight industry in the state The bill is still pending after the legislature shut down 12 days later as the pandemic took hold. The bill would create a public-private partnership of commercial nanosatellite and aerospace interests, as well as local, state, federal, government, and academic leaders to look into developing a spaceport site. The site would include a space data and analytics center, a new space innovation hub, and launch sites it would also have services for increasing the state's participation in the emerging new space global market including nanosatellite and aerospace technology it originally called for a strategic plan ready for presentation to governor janet mills and the legislature by december 31st 2021 but that will likely be pushed back because of the pandemic blackwell vfw donates sanitary products to elementary schools Blackwell Veterans of Foreign Wars Auxiliary No. 2855 recently donated masks, hand sanitizer, and sanitary wipes to students and staff at Blackwell Elementary School. According to VFW Commander Corey Ingram, the VFW donated more than $500 worth of sanitary supplies, including 28 bottles of disinfectant spray, 5 cases of gloves for children, 100 sanitary masks for children, 24 bottles of sanitizer, and various school supplies. Principal Melissa Moore accepted the donation and thanked the VFW for the supplies. We just wanted to give back to the community and let people in the community know the VFW is more than just a bar, Ingram said, and we wanted to do that by helping out the elementary school with supplies. In August, the VFW partnered with Blackwell Fraternal Order of Police to host a free swim night at the Blackwell Memorial Pool. The donation to the school comes weeks after VFW members committed to making gift bags for the men and women in Claremore Veterans Center. The auxiliary is still asking Blackwell residents to help with the project. For more information on how to help, contact the Auxiliary President Sherry Landers at 580-262-0121. The Jonesboro Veterans Village receives a $100,000 grant. The City of Jonesboro Grants Department received a $100,000 award to put an outreach center for military service veterans at the Veterans Village, a block of new shelters for veterans who experience homelessness. Jonesboro's veterans village is under construction at alice street and aggie road quote the outpouring of love from public and private partnerships is creating one of the finest veterans village campuses in the country mayor harold Perrin said on friday i can't say enough about the both sunderland foundation which provided this funding and our grants department which works tirelessly to find ways to provide for our residents in need end quote The Sunderland Foundation of Overland Park, Kansas, assists nonprofit organizations with capital improvement projects. The Outreach Center will be an integral part of Jonesboro's Veterans Village because it will house essential support services for the servicemen and women who have sacrificed for all Americans. Quote, we're grateful to the Sunderland Foundation, but we're not finished looking for funds for this or our other homeless projects in Jonesboro, Grants and Community Development Director Regina Burkett said. Quote, we're fortunate to also have Beck Pride, which meets the needs of so many veterans transitioning to civilian life, helping with this project. Anyone who wants to contribute to the Veterans Village Project through a donation can contact Birkin at 870-336-7229. To find links to any of the articles you've heard today, go to www.gimmegoodnewsdaily.wordpress.com. A Walton-backed initiative will install public art across Arkansas. Ozart, in partnership with the unexpected and global curator firm Just Kids, announced Thursday, October 1st, the launch of a new initiative to install 12 pieces of art across Arkansas during the next two months. Artists will begin October 15th in Bentonville and will head to Central Arkansas later in the month. The initiative is called Our Canvas. A statewide engagement that will bring public art by world-renowned artists to several Arkansas cities, including Bentonville, Rogers, Springdale, Fort Smith, Chassis Crossing, Conway, Little Rock, Hot Springs, and Pine Bluff. The theme of the initiative, according to a news release, is, quote, Unite. A tribute to being united through shared outdoor and art experiences across the state. A virtual experience will be launched at ArtCanvas.com and at OzartNWA at Instagram and will feature videos of the art artists and communities. Stuart and Tom Walton, who are grandsons of Walmart, Inc. founders Sam and Helen Walton and Tom's wife, Olivia Walton, founded Ozark in 2017 to invest in bringing art to everyday life in Arkansas. ...We wanted to do something to celebrate the arts communities during this incredibly challenging time, Olivia Walton said in a statement. She is leading the project along with Elizabeth Miller, Ozart Art Manager. Quote, we love that murals bring art to everyone, and we hope that these projects will inspire, spark conversation, and promote civil unity. End quote. Participating artists include renowned contemporary figures like Nina Chanel Abney, Stephen Powers, ESPO, Camille Wallala, Robert Montgomery. Yuri Kansal, Mantra, Laquina, Hilda Palafox, Pony, and Alexis Diaz. From murals to immersive installations, the artists who will be creating site-specific works and the locations where they're popping up will be announced on Ozart in the coming days on the website. To curate and produce the initiative, Ozard appointed Just Kids, an award-winning multidisciplinary and women-led platform specializing in public art. Quote, Our canvas will offer Arkansas residents and visitors a joyous visual escape, said Charlotte Detroit, founder of Just Kids. Quote, We're thrilled to be collaborating with Ozard Unexpected, to help communities come together through art and cherish their home region's natural beauty. The Unexpected brings free and accessible art, education, and programs to Arkansas and Fort Smith. Produced by the nonprofit 646 Downtown, they create opportunities for a healthy and sustainable creative economy. The unexpected and Fort Smith nonprofit 64-6 Downtown have been recognized for their programming, including the Governor's Arts Awards for Community Tourism Development and Community Arts Development just kids and unexpected have worked together previously to deliver public art to arkansas over the course of five years they brought more than 35 pieces of artwork into public spaces including the rainbow embassy a 360 degree takeover at an abandoned house in fort smith by Okuda san miguel and a mural depicting an owl by alexis diaz on the historic former mountain inn building in downtown fayetteville From the Baker City Herald, free meals to all 18 and younger. Because the U.S. Department of Agriculture has extended a waiver for the Baker School Districts through December 31st, the district is providing free meals to everyone 18 and younger at several locations. Previously, district officials had been planning to provide lunches and breakfasts to students only. Each school day workers in buses will deliver a hot lunch and a cold breakfast for the following day. There will be two daily services at most locations and buses will be at each site for five minutes. Students or parents can pick up one lunch and one breakfast per child each day. People who pick up meals should stay at least six feet away from those who aren't members of their household, and face coverings are highly recommended. Those who are unable to access meals at the current sites can call Jessica Dalton, the District's Food Services Director, at 524 to discuss other arrangements. Follow links on the website for a schedule of meal deliveries from oregon's coos bay sister bridge gets a fresh coat a local landmark is looking a little fresher a small group of volunteers from north point real estate toted cans of red paint through mingus park on october 2nd and got to work on the koshi bridge named for coos bay's sister city in japan for volunteer tom leahy the hope is that the painting project will refresh more than just the bridge hopefully it'll reinvigorate our sister organization Leigh said it's all kind of evaporated that organization established the sister city relationship between koos bay and kochi on february tenth of nineteen eighty three according to the world's archives Leahy remembers a few decades ago when the relationship between Koos and Koshi, a fishing city and center of soy sauce production in Japan's Chiba province, was stronger. In 1993, Leahy joined a group of Koos residents on an exchange tour of the city. Quote, it was exciting, Leahy said. That year, the group of about 15 or 20 Oregonians brought wine from the area wineries and other local products to share. On other occasions, students swapped places in the two cities for educational exchanges. Since then, though, the exchanges have all but stopped, and the relationship has been fairly sparse, according to the World's Archives. In 2016, a Kuspe business leader made a stop in the city as part of an Oregon delegation to Japan. In 2015, Koshi rededicated its monument to Steve Prefontaine. In 2011, Kuspe residents donated several thousand dollars to relief efforts in Koshi following the disastrous earthquake, tsunami, and nuclear meltdown in northern Japan that year. The bridge was dedicated at a ceremony with the Koshi delegation in 1990, according to the archives. That was two years after the first attempt at a dedication when Koshi's representatives arrived at the planned ceremony in 1988 to find the bridge was not yet finished. It fell into disrepair in the early 2000s, leading the city to close and replace it for safety reasons. In 2005, the city approved a plan to rebuild the bridge, which cost just under $150,000 at the time. Now Lay hopes the bridge repainting will spark a resurgence in the relationship between the two sister cities and improve a local landmark. Quote, when people come to town, they're not just looking at a house. They're looking at the community, Lay said. This is part of our history in lagrand oregon a restored portion of lagrand's theatrical past now is easier to see a five foot high security fence in front of the liberty theater complex on adams avenue in downtown lagrand was removed after being in place for more than three years the fence which blocked the front view of the complex was removed because exterior work on the front entrances of its two buildings, the Liberty Theatre and the Putnam building, is virtually complete. The exterior includes ground floor windows like those in place about a century ago, and historic colors that decorate the complex's exterior the way they did a century ago. The fence had been in place to protect the public while activities like demolition was conducted to remove the previous facade and replace it with one that has a historic look. Quote, it the fence was put up for safety said dale mammon who owns the putnam building with his wife Ginny. the colors of the facades include decatur buff burgundy waterbury green and mill springs blue these colors are all classified as historic mammon said the putnam and liberty theatre buildings have long been linked mammon noted that the original owners of the liberty lived in a portion of the putnam building he also said that at one time the putnam building had a door that opened onto the stage of the liberty The restoration of the first floor of the Putnam Building now is almost complete. Its features include a mezzanine, facilities for a bakery, and a restroom that meets Americans with Disabilities Act compliance. The upstairs level of the renovated Putnam Building will feature two small apartments to serve as dressing rooms for performers or places for traveling entertainers to stay offices for theatre staff, and facilities for a restaurant. Mammon hopes to have the upper portion of the Putnam building completed sometime in 2021. Much of the renovated building, which was constructed in 1911 by Stephen A. Gardiner, who moved to Le Grand from New York, is designed to look as it did early in its history. The Putnam Building, like the Liberty Theater, which closed in 1959, is on the National Register for Historic Places. This means workers had to conform to the National Park Service standards while doing renovations, Mammon said. Wallpaper and portions of the building is from the old Palomar Club and will remain after the renovation. The restaurant and bar operated from 48 to 53, Mammon said. The Palomar Club moved to a new site in La Grande and was renamed the Tropidara, and continued operating at least through the 80s. Mammon is delighted the first floor restoration of the Putnam building is nearing completion, Quote, it is really exciting to be able to share with the community a building which has been a part of the community for more than 100 years. The restoration of Liberty Theatre, which the Putnam Building will complement, also is in its final stages. Quote, we're confident we'll have a grand opening in 2021, said Ashley O'Toole, chair of the Liberty Theatre Foundation Board. In Newport, Oregon, a native for hire produces bubble art and smiles. Those who have spent some time recently at Newport's Nye Beach have most likely taken note of and sky. More accurately, the gigantic bubbles Sky produces with homemade instruments are mostly what people are drawn to. Though he's worked a variety of jobs through his adult life, from warehouse worker to lumberyard employee, Quote, whenever I'm out here bubbling on the beach, it always draws a bit of a crowd of people because most people haven't seen giant bubbles like the ones I make, Skye said in late September. Quote, it's really pretty mind-blowing to see it in person, especially for the first time. Skye, a 1990 Newport High graduate, was initially drawn to bubble making, or bubbling as he calls it, when his children weren't much more than newborns. When the kids were a bit older, a little more than 10 years ago, he used an old bubble-making contraption found deep in one of his closets called a bubble thing to entertain the kids. But Skye said he quickly realized the bubble thing has its limitations. The kids were having a great time with it, but my hands were getting all soapy and wrinkly from getting soaked with liquid, he said. So, Sky went ahead and began doing some tinkering on his own and watching online videos for help until he created and produced his own bubble making wand. After posting examples to YouTube and Facebook of his bubble creations using his homemade equipment, Sky began receiving inquiries about making wands and his own bubble soap solution for other bubble enthusiasts sky then went into business for himself selling his bubble related tools he went so far as to learn computer-aided design from online videos bought a 3d printer and developed a fog machine to create a smoke effect to pair with the giant bubbles he says that for the last six or seven years he's mainly kept busy designing and building his mini fog machine for use by bubble experts At the heart of it all, Sky most enjoys taking the occasional job, putting on bubble-making performances at fairs, festivals, private parties, and other events. He says he loves making bubbles on Newport's Nye Beach and at the Yakuts Ocean Road State Natural Site when conditions are right. Quote, I think that what I like most about making giant bubbles is that it inevitably makes someone's day, he said. Quote, it just really is nice to bring some joy and a bit of wonderment to complete strangers during the times we're living in right now. That's what it's all about. In eastern Oregon, with school cafeterias closed, Oregon sends school lunch money home to needy families from salem when the coronavirus pandemic forced schools online education and health officials worried that without free lunches at school cafeterias children in low-income families would lose out on the nutrition they need oregon education officials recently made it easier for school programs to reopen by dropping two coronavirus metrics used to determine reopening but that doesn't mean schools and lunchrooms will be suddenly opening their doors in fact officials in Bend, La Pine said Monday, September 28th, that they were having to postpone plans to open in-person instructions for K through 3 due to a spike in covid cases in Deschutes County Oregon's Education and Human Services Departments announced they are putting school lunch money directly into the hands of families to ensure children are getting the nutrition they need this fall. State officials said thousands of families will receive $100 or more to compensate families for the cost of lunches that would have been served at school in September and late August. Starting this week, payments will be added to families' electronic benefits transfer accounts, or EBT, through what's called Pandemic EBT. Oregon officials say with over 300,000 eligible students, the direct funding to families to cover lost meals dating back to the start of school will total $35.6 million from the US Department of Agriculture. The announcement of pandemic EBT signals an extension of a program from the spring, which spent $118 million in federal funds in Oregon to help 315,000 children, most families receive $384 per student to cover a four-month period in the spring. With families who applied later receiving the $189, according to the Self-Sufficiency Program's director at the Oregon Department of Human Services, the direct meal payments are part of a transition back to school in a joint statement released by the ODHS and the Oregon Department of Education. Quote, eligible students will receive up to $176 depending on their school start date, the statement said, but only one school's district is receiving that maximum amount, according to a chart released by state officials, the NISA School District in Eastern Oregon. Hahn said the start date is based on the date the school district had planned to start, so families in districts where wildfires and coronavirus delayed or interrupted instruction didn't lose money. Families in many of Oregon's larger school districts, including Beaverton, Portland, and Salem-Kaiser, are slated to receive $100 per eligible student. Children in a number of private, charter, or specialized programs aren't eligible for any funding, nor are students at several smaller school districts, including Elgin, Huntington, and Union. Officials say one reason families aren't eligible for the direct payments is that the school is open and serving lunch. Pandemic EBT payments won't stop districts from putting together lunches and providing them to families. State officials say those efforts can continue. The renewed funding stream to families is just a one-time payment for September and late August, at least for now. Officials say they're expected to continue as part of a budget agreement moving through Congress. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We'll visit more next time on Gimme Good News Radio. If you'd like to read along or find any of the articles you've heard today, visit www.gimmegoodnewsdaily.wordpress.com.